Hello, and welcome to another episode of Her Head in Films. I'm Caitlin, and I'm your host. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and feelings about the films that I watch. They tend to be art house and world cinema. What makes this podcast unique is that I weave together my life experiences with an in-depth and personal discussion of films. I explore the impact that cinema has on me and why I connect so deeply to it. As I like to say, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. On today's episode, I'm talking about Mike Newell's 1991 film, Enchanted April. It's based on the book, The Enchanted April by Elizabeth von Arnhem. It's about four women in 1920s Britain who rent a castle in the Italian countryside. Their vacation in Italy will forever transform their lives. This much-needed break from ordinary life leads to spiritual rejuvenation, a deep connection to nature, and a powerful bond with each other. I love this film, and I hope you enjoy my exploration of all the things that make it so special. If you'd like to support the work I'm doing, please consider becoming a patron on Patreon. You can access extra episodes, vote in polls, and much more. Go to patreon.com slash herheadinfilms for more information. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash herheadinfilms. You can also review the podcast on iTunes. Please give me five stars. Tell your friends and followers about herheadinfilms. You could follow me on social media and interact with me on there in a positive way. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and Twitter. There are links to all my social media accounts in the show notes of each episode. So I won't go on any longer. Here's my episode all about Mike Newell's Enchanted April. wanted to say before I get into the episode and talk about this film, I wanted to say that I feel a lot of gratitude that I have this space to talk about films. I'm a sentimental person. I don't think I've said it in a while or in any recent episodes, but I'm really grateful for those of you who listen, if you're a returning listener or a longtime listener, a regular one, or even if you're a new listener, hopefully you'll check out more episodes if you like this one. But I just want to say that it really is an honor to be part of people's lives in some ways. I do occasionally receive messages from people who listen. I'm by no means a big podcast. I don't get a lot of downloads or anything like that. I'm not a big deal in the film world by any means. But a few of you are out there. And a few of you do listen and some of you reach out and you let me know that I've affected you or you connect to my story, you connect to what I share, or maybe it's my sparkling personality that you like. (laughs) I don't know, but I just want to say that it is an honor and I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful that there are people out there who are interested in what I have to say about films. They're interested in my story, in my journey, in my emotional connection to certain films. This podcast is really one of the few things that makes me feel a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning in my life. And it's something that I have always searched for and I've struggled to find it. I think ultimately at the end of the day, what I've always wanted to do is to have an outlet for my thoughts and my feelings. Of course, I'm a very emotional person. I like to share. I've always wanted to tell my story and I've wanted to affect other people in some way, in a positive way. And this podcast allows me to do that and I feel really fortunate to have it. It's an honor to be part of your life. However many episodes you've listened to, I hope that maybe I've introduced you to some films you wouldn't have normally watched, or maybe I give you a different perspective or point of view about a film that you already really like or really love. At the end of the day, it's just important to me to connect. I guess in a way that's the meaning of life to me, is to connect with other people while we're on this earth with each other, while we're sharing this space at the same time. And I think that people who can't connect or who struggle with it, I think that's a very painful thing. And for me, connection has always been important. What's most important to me in my life are three things. Love, art, and connection. Those three for me. 
That's the core of it. That's what I live for. I'm not religious. I am an atheist. I don't believe that anything really survives our bodies once they end. We're living in really frightening times. I won't sugarcoat it and I won't pretend otherwise. I wake up a lot of days and I feel anxiety. I feel fear. I feel dread and I feel terror about the state of the world, whether it's this ongoing pandemic that's been botched here in the United States. I feel a sense of disillusionment and I feel a sense of abandonment by my government. I have definitely lost faith in humanity. I'm not the same person that I was before this pandemic. I'll never be that person again. And I've changed it in really drastic and profound ways that I may not ever fully reckon with or understand. It's devastating what's happened. So we're living through this pandemic and life will never be what it was before. It's not possible. Everything's changed, at least for me and I think for a lot of people. And we're not only living through that, we're also living through a politically divisive and contentious time. We're living with climate disaster and climate change, which is going to be quite frightening as the future comes. These are difficult, difficult times. I take things one day at a time. I encourage any of you who are listening to do the same. I hope that when you press play on these episodes, I bring the world into these episodes, of course. I do talk about what's going on, but more than anything, I do try to provide some kind of escape from that, sort of a protective barrier a bit maybe between you and the world. (laughs) And you can maybe turn these episodes on and listen to my voice and know that you're not alone in the world and that somebody somewhere maybe feels things that you feel and understands what you're going through. And we're here on this earth together and my voice is speaking to you and you're listening and there's an exchange happening there and there's a connection connection taking place. And all I'm trying to do is to connect with you, to reach out to you, to share with you, and hopefully take your mind off of all that other stuff that's going on beyond your headphones or beyond wherever you are as you're listening to this episode. Maybe you're washing dishes in your kitchen. Maybe you're in your car. Maybe you have the earbuds on while you're commuting to work. I don't know. Maybe you're in bed. And for this moment, for this bit of time, we are in communication and we are connected. We are bound and linked to each other through film. And isn't that really beautiful? It's an honor to be able to talk to you and for you to listen to me. And I hope that these films that I talk about, I hope you have your own experiences with them, and you enjoy them, and you love them as much as I do. Yeah, I just want to say that I feel grateful, and I feel really fortunate to have that, and to be part of your life in some way. To be what you turn to, right? You choose to take this time to listen to me blabber on, (laughs) And ramble on and sometimes I cry and sometimes I share my cheesy jokes and my weird sense of humor every now and then. And I just thank you. I thank you for listening. I know things are hard. I know things are scary. I feel it. I'm sure you feel it too. But for the next hour or so, we're going to talk about Enchanted April. Or I'm going to talk about Enchanted April. And I hope that that's a reprieve. I hope that that does something for you. I was thinking recently how this has been such a frightening time the last few years, not just with the pandemic, but for my personal life. My mom's health is not good. Her body is not in a good place. She just is going through a lot and I'm a caregiver for her and I help her and stuff like that. I've had a tremendous amount of pressure, stress, anxiety, I feel the weight of the world on me at times, and I do not handle it well. I'm a fragile, fragile person. (laughs) I'm a fragile woman. I feel like glass a lot of the time. I just feel like I could crumble, I could crack, and disintegrate at any moment. Sometimes I want to. Sometimes I just want to dissolve. I don't even want to be real at times. Life just becomes unbearable. I carry a lot with me. I carry a lot of pain. I carry wounds 
from trauma. I've had a lot of loss and grief in my life. I've had a lot of struggle and suffering. I talk about it. That doesn't mean that I want to be defined by it. But I will talk about it and I will always share my emotions about it. Because of all of these heavy, difficult experiences that I've been through, film and books and other forms of art have been my salvation. Next to love, art is what saves me. It's what helps me cope and, and survive. And I was thinking recently how, you know, everything I've been through and then the last few years have been so dark and so difficult and so painful and disillusioning. I feel like I've lost so much in a lot of ways. I just want more joy in my life. I want more joy. I want more peace. I want beauty. I want to smile. I want to laugh. It doesn't mean I'll do those things 24-7, but I'm someone who's kind of depressive. I'm kind of melancholy. I wallow, I guess. I get wrapped up in my suffering and my pain. I think too much about it. I get obsessed with the past, and I get like this terrible aching for the past, and I get nostalgic, and I want to live in that place when... My life was whole and everything was okay. And I'm always longing for what I can't have and all kinds of stuff like that. And I tend to watch films and read books and, and I consume art that can reinforce a lot of that. I can watch a lot of devastating films and dark films and intense stuff. And I do go to cinema for an intense emotional experience. I'm not going to lie about it. I want an intensity through film. That's why I seek out stuff like that. But watching Enchanted April, and before this film, I did an episode about Under the Tuscan Sun. I paired them together for this month where I'm doing these episodes. Right now, every month I pick a theme and I do two films. I do two episodes. So I paired Under the Tuscan Sun with Enchanted April. I think they go beautifully together. I also recommend David Lean's Summertime. I think that's a, also a wonderful film about the intoxication of Italy and the beauty of it and a woman traveling to Italy and her life changing. Catherine Hepburn is exquisite and spectacular in it. Sometimes I don't make, I don't think I make space for films like this the way that I should. Films that are more hopeful, films that are more beautiful, films that are lighter. I'm by no means gonna only consume films like that right? That's not who I am. I still like my dark, devastating stuff. I like my drama and my serious art house cinema. But maybe going forward, I've been thinking, maybe I need to make more space for art that is more life-affirming, that does bring me a sense of joy or brings lightness into my life. And I do go through periods with it. I love musicals, for instance. I love the classic golden age musicals of MGM. Singing in the Rain is a really great example. I love Judy Garland's musicals and Gene Kelly. So it's not like I never watch stuff like that. I maybe just don't make as much time or as much space for it as I probably should. After so much pain and watching the world just fall apart the last couple of years. I want to try harder. I want to make it more of a practice to find more joy and to focus on beauty and also gratitude. It's not easy, but I'm trying. The days are hard. Life is hard, but I'm a believer in trying to find beauty in it. For me, it comes, like I call them pockets of beauty that I try to find throughout each day. And that could be a poem. That could be a song. It could be looking at a painting. It could be having a conversation with somebody and feeling a connection with someone. It could be sitting outside on the porch, looking at the flowers and watching the sunset. Like about a week or so ago, I was outside looking at the sunset. I put on some classical music. I put on Debussy. That was really beautiful. And I just sat there listening to Debussy and watching the sunset. I've been trying to read poetry again more often. And I've just, yeah, I've been listening to George Harrison recently. I, for the first time, I listened to All Things Must Pass, and I love that album. I, I've just fallen head over heels for it, and the songs just astound me, and they're so beautiful. Throughout the day, 
if you can find those pockets, I really encourage you to do it. Or I've been trying to like write in my diary again. I've been trying to meditate. I downloaded a meditation app and I'm really liking it. And so I'm trying to get back to meditation. I'm trying to do anything I can to give love and tenderness and care to myself to try to deal with the anxiety and deal with the fear and to just care for myself in some way and comfort and soothe myself. And I just encourage you to do the same. I hope that these episodes bring beauty into your life. I hope that this episode can be a pocket of beauty in your life and in your day. That's what I hope for. That's what I'm trying to create. That's what I'm trying to share. That is what I want to do. And I hope that I do that for you when you turn on these episodes. I know I can be heavy. I know I can be sad. I know I cry in some of these episodes. I get emotional. I talk about death. I talk about pain. But I also want to have episodes where we talk about life and beauty and flowers and love and women. And that's what Enchanted April gives us. Enchanted April gives me beauty and joy and it's so life affirming. So let's let's get into it. Let's talk about Enchanted April because I've gone on long enough. But again, I thank you. I always thank you, all of you who listen, whether you listen to one episode or you listen to all of them. And there are some of you out there. I will probably never meet you or talk to you, but you know way too much about me. <laughs> Because I overshare. I know some of you are out there listening to all 120 something episodes and I don't know what to make of it. I hope you liked them. (laughs) That's a lot of time to invest in me, but I hope that you enjoyed those 120 something episodes of me talking. (laughs) So let's talk about Enchanted April. I love this film. I had not seen it for a while. It had been quite a few years. I'm a really big fan of historical dramas. I don't watch as many as I used to, but this is one that I saw a few years ago. I think I read the book and then I watched the film. I want to say that, but I could be wrong. Or maybe I saw the film and then I read the book. I can't remember at this point. I really enjoyed this film years ago and then re-watching it for this episode, I just loved it even more. I adore this film. Like, really, it absolutely held up for me with a second viewing. It's a little bit zany at times. It's a bit whimsical or whatever. But there is a heart to this film. And there's an emotion. And there's um, something about it that moves me. And that's what I'm going to be digging into is, what is it about this film that moves me so much? It just does. It, it has these moments that kind of overwhelm me, to be honest with you. So I just want to talk about uh, the cast, and then I will get into the film. So this film was directed by Mike Newell. I mainly know him from Four Weddings and a Funeral, which I personally really love and enjoy. I know it's probably just really obvious to say that, or cliche to say, yeah, I love Four Weddings and a Funeral. That film was such a phenomenon, I remember, from the 90s. I I enjoy that film. I like 90s Hugh Grant. I'm not going to even feel ashamed about it. (laughs) I love 90s Hugh Grant. I also love Hugh Grant in a film that I've covered on this podcast called Morris by James Ivory. If you want to see Hugh Grant at his peak, you need to see Morris. He is absolutely beautiful, but James Wilby, who's also in Morris, is even more beautiful. (laughs) His blonde locks, that's some beautiful hair in Morris. And Rupert Graves is fantastic as well. Three beautiful men, you need to see Morris do it. (laughs) But I love Hugh Grant in the 90s. Yeah, I found him appealing and attractive and funny and sexy. So I love Four Weddings and a Funeral. I love that scene where they read Funeral Blues by W.H. Alden. That's a big scene for me from cinema. Like, that might be one of my favorite film scenes. I will never get over that scene. So, I love Four Weddings and a Funeral. So, I already knew about Mike Newell. Our cast is Miranda Richardson as Rose Arbuthnot. Love Miranda Richardson, particularly in The Hours. She's really, really good in that. I haven't seen her in a bunch of stuff. But everything I do see Miranda in, I always enjoy her. She's a class act. We've got Josie Lawrence as Lottie Wilkins. 
Polly Walker as Lady Caroline Duster, and isn't she just breathtakingly beautiful, right? Joan Plowright as Mrs. Fisher, a wonderful actress. Alfred Molina as Melersh Wilkins. And I have to say, this film was the first time I ever heard the name Melersh. I don't know if this is a common name in Britain, <laughs> but I had never heard it before in my life. And I don't I don't think I've heard it since. I don't think this is a common name, but I was like, Melersh? What is that? <laughs> so that name stood out for me. Jim Broadbent as Frederick Arbuthnot. I mainly know Jim from Bridget Jones's Diary, and I love the first Bridget Jones's Diary film. Again, I'm not going to feel any shame about it. I don't care for the sequels, to be honest, like at all. I don't like the sequels, but that first one is magic to me. That's one of those films where if it's on TV, I will watch it. I have to watch it. It always makes me laugh. It's always so fun. And it really is one of the films where I fell in love with Colin Firth. I think Colin Firth in like the early 2000s, Bridget Jones's Diary, Love Actually, and then in the 90s when he did the miniseries Pride and Prejudice, I was a Colin Firth fangirl in the early 2000s, or at the turn of the 21st century, I guess we could say. I love that man. Oh, Girl with a Pearl Earring. I have an episode about Girl with a Pearl Earring. I have a lot of feelings about that film, and I absolutely love it, because I saw it when I was a teenager, and it means a lot to me. Major, major crush on Colin Firth. Major, major crush on Hugh Grant. You put them together in Bridget Jones's Diary. I was there for it, okay? <laughs> and I loved him. Oh, and they were together in Love Actually. Okay, I'm going to be honest here. I'm going to get real just for a second. Love Actually is terrible. Like, honestly, um, I loved it when I was younger because I didn't know better. There are so many plots in that film that are just terrible, but I still watch it <laughs> and I don't really totally care because I love Emma Thompson in it and I love Laura Linney in it. And I get to look at Hugh Grant and I get to look at Colin Firth. I still watch Love Actually, but it does not hold up. It really doesn't. But it is a how it, it is a holiday staple for me. J Bridget Jones's diary is the same way because that has a part of it that's set during Christmas. So it's set in the 1920s in the years after the First World War. Okay, so let's talk about this film. I want to go through, I want to talk about themes and things like that. What a special film. I just finished watching it not too long, like literally like 20 minutes ago, like 20 or 30 minutes ago, I finished watching it. And what I was left with at the end, first of all, I teared up. <laughs> I did tear up because I get like that with certain films. I got emotional about this film. I felt really deep emotion about it while I was watching it. And I got really emotional near the end. And when it was over, I was like, what a special film. It just has this magic about it. The only thing I wish is that we had like a really great restoration of the film. I rented it in order to watch it for this episode. It's not, it's just, I wish we had like crystal clear. I think I researched and there isn't a Blu-ray. There isn't really a restoration of the film. I would love to have that one day where it's like crystal clear, beautiful picture, you know, uh, image and quality. We just don't really have that. The The version that I watched that I rented, it's lower quality. It's pixelated at times. And I just wish that we could have a really great restoration with more vibrant colors and clearer picture quality. But I can overlook it. I can overlook it in order to watch the film. But I do wish we had that. So this is uh, adaptation of a book by Elizabeth von Arnhem with the same name, The Enchanted April. And I've read the book. The book came out in 1922. I really enjoyed the book. I, like I said, I can't remember if I watched the film first or after reading the book, but I did read it a few years ago. Absolutely enjoyed it. Elizabeth von Arnhem was the cousin of one of my favorite writers whose name is Catherine Mansfield. I am a huge fan of Catherine Mansfield. She's this New Zealand writer. I don't know if she gets a lot of attention necessarily. She was a contemporary of Virginia Woolf. They actually had a very interesting friendship with each other. Virginia Woolf was a bit jealous of Catherine Mansfield, which I think is saying a lot. 
when Virginia Woolf is a little bit jealous of you. I mean, one of the greatest writers of the 20th century, right? And Catherine Mansfield was a short story writer, and she wrote these touching, beautiful, prismatic, impressionistic short stories, and I adore her. And she died quite young. I think she died in her 30s from tuberculosis, and she has fascinated me since I was a teenager, and I first read her story, Miss Brill, which you should absolutely read. The Garden Party, that is, oh. read Bliss, read Miss Brill, read The Garden Party, Adele Pickle, I love that one. There's so many fantastic short stories. The Stranger, I could go on. I absolutely love Catherine Mansfield. So Elizabeth von Arnhem was her cousin. And Elizabeth von Arnhem did write quite a few books. I haven't read many of them. I've only read Enchanted April. I just think that's a cool tidbit that they were related to each other. Because Catherine is, Catherine means a lot to me. She's special to me because I discovered her when I was a teenager. And her stories have always moved me. And the Enchanted April moves me too. I, the, the story moves me, the way it looks at women's lives. And that's what Catherine Mansfield did. And that's what Elizabeth von Arnhem was doing, looking at women's lives. So the film is about uh, these four women who rent this castle in Italy for a month, for April. <laughs> these women come together. We have Lottie Wilkins. She's the engine behind it. She sees the ad in the newspaper, and then she connects with Rose Arbuthnot. She knows her from church, and she convinces her to go in with her. And they also bring in two other women so that they can afford it better. They bring in Lady Caroline Dester. She's single. She's very beautiful. There's Mrs. Fisher, who is single. I can't remember if she's a widow. She probably is. And she's more elderly obviously. But Rose and Lottie are both married. So two of the women are married, two of the women are not. They come together financially so that they can afford this castle for a month. And they go there. They go to Italy and they have this transformative experience with this Italian castle. I love films about Italy not just Italian cinema. Of course I love Italian cinema. I love The Great Beauty. I love La Ventura and I love De Sica's Umberto D. I love Rosalini's Rome Open City and Journey to Italy and Stromboli and everything he did with Ingrid Bergman. I love Italian neorealism, The Bicycle Thieves. Yeah, I adore Italian cinema, absolutely. But I'm talking more about films that are about, I guess, Americans or like English speaking people, I guess, like either from Britain or America, who go to Italy and have like these powerful experiences. So Summertime by David Lane, Under the Tuscan Sun by Audrey Wells, The Enchanted April by Mike Newell. Um, another good one is by Joanna Hogg called Unrelated. It's a little bit more serious, but it's about a vacation in Italy. Call Me By Your Name would qualify. That takes place when they're um, vacationing in Italy. So there's quite a few films that fit this theme, and I'm always drawn to them because I'm in love with Italy and in love with the Italian countryside, just like I'm in love with the French countryside. But I love Italy. <laughs> I have this dream. I've never traveled outside the U.S. I'm not a traveler. It takes money, and I don't have it. I'm working class. I struggle financially a lot. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have money to travel, okay? <laughs> Plus, I have anxiety issues and different stuff, so it's not really possible for me to travel, but I have, like, these dreams, right? Like, I dream of France and Italy and going to the countryside and all of that stuff. I just feel like Italian people... They know how to live. Good food, good wine, the sun, flowers, the landscape. It is a dream. You know, Italy is this dreamy place, I think, for people outside of Italy. I don't know how the Italian people feel about it. We do romanticize it. I certainly do. I'm guilty of it. I romanticize certain places in the world, like France and Italy, for sure. So um, I love... That's why I was drawn to the film, right? Because I love the whole idea of going to Italy, being transformed, all of that. It's a big theme for me, and I love films like that. So ultimately, that's what these women are doing. They go to Italy, and they're 
they're transformed by it. And they undergo sort of this renewal, this rejuvenation of their lives. And I just love that. (laughs) I love just on that level. I love that theme. The first thing I wanted to talk about is how they go to Italy on this vacation. How the film looks at rest and relaxation. We, I think we don't talk enough about rest and relaxation personally. And I think it's a radical thing if you think about it. To take this break from your ordinary life and to escape to another place. To take a vacation. It's not really something that's big here in the United States. I know that in places in Europe, there's much more of an emphasis on taking a vacation. Like there are places... I think it's in France or where they will go on a vacation for like a month. People believe in that. They believe in taking a break, in resting, right? And that is not as big of a thing here in the United States. There's much more of an emphasis on working, productivity, overworking. And I don't think that we put enough emphasis or value on rest, on vacation, right? On retreat. I love how the film is about a vacation. It's about rest. A lot of a lot of the time the women in the film are doing nothing and they love it. They love that they're doing nothing. They're just sitting in the sun. They're not doing a damn thing. And I love how the film celebrates that because I do think it's radical in a way to take a break, to rest your body. We don't value that enough. And I think it resonates with people right now because we're in this never-ending pandemic. We are exhausted. We are worn down by so much, right? I think people are really worn down at this point. And I think a lot of us are longing for respite, for healing, for retreat. There's something powerful about the fantasy of going away to an Italian castle and fleeing from all of life's problems. And you get to enter this world of beauty. I recently watched a show on HBO called The White Lotus, and I enjoyed it. And what I really enjoyed, it takes place at a resort in Hawaii. So the show revolves around the guests that come to this resort and their issues and the people who work at the res- at the resort and how these people can clash and collide at times. I loved watching the show because I loved the environment. I loved the idea of going to a resort, (laughs) right? Of sitting by the pool, of getting a massage, of just entering a space of relaxation, a space where you're just surrounded by beauty. The show is really beautiful. It's in Hawaii. There are beaches and there's the water and there's the pools and the beautiful rooms. And it's like you're just soaking in relaxation and like rest and you don't have to do anything. The whole idea of that is a dream to me. Like I wish I could have that. So I think there's something about this film that appeals to people in that way, where it's about resting. It's about an escape from ordinary everyday life. And it's about entering a space of beauty. Like that castle is stunning. The garden in it, the flowers. You know, at the beginning of the film, London is like really dreary. It's rainy. It's just, you can tell the women are affected by it too. It's so like ugly. (laughs) All the rain, the grayness, and the drabness of London really seems to correspond to these women's marriages that seem really stale and drab and kind of empty at that time before they go to Italy. But when they get to Italy, it's colorful and beautiful and Italy really beckons to them as a place of retreat and of renewal. I mean, even in the ad, it says, to those who appreciate wisteria and sunshine. It just beckons to them. And how can they resist? They can't. And Lottie Wilkins, in particular, is, like I said, she's the engine. She hates her life. You can feel it. Rose is also in a similar place. Rose hates her life as well. But Lottie really hates her life. She needs a break from it. She desperately needs a break. You can feel the desperation in this woman. She wants to do something unexpected. She wants to go for something. She wants this dream. She doesn't want to be in her reality anymore. 
She wants to enter this dream world, this castle in Italy, and she will do anything to make that happen. But Lottie hates her life, and I gotta be honest, I relate to that. I deeply, deeply related to that. When I'm working on these episodes, sometimes thoughts will come into my head about films, that, and I want to talk about it in the episode. And I was sitting one day, and it just hit me, and I was like, Lottie hates her life. And I get that. I understand that. Because I do wake up and I hate my life. I will be honest about it. I'm not gonna lie. I have days where I feel really miserable and I feel really like I just want to escape. I want to run away, but I don't know where I want to run. I don't know where I want to go. There is nowhere to go because where I want to go, I can't because I want to go back to the past. I want to go back to when my dad was alive. I want to go back to when I was a little girl and life was okay and nothing bad had happened to me. So I don't necessarily want to go to a place. I want to go to a time. I want to go back to like this untouchable realm, which is the past. You cannot access it anymore. It's it's gone forever. Like that's what I want. I want to go back to a time. I don't want to go to a place, but I can never go back there. So I get it. I understand hating your life. I understand burnout, exhaustion, wanting to escape, wanting to run away, wanting a dream, wanting beauty. I get that. And I understood Lottie in that way. When we see her with Melorch in London, you know, it's really drab. She has to record every little penny she spends. She gets chastised if she spends too much money or like when she wastes money on flowers She can't even buy flowers without him getting on to her about it. So she does have a drab life. And there's this scene where Lottie is trying to convince Rose to do the trip with her, to go in with her and do this and go to this castle. And this is a powerful scene. And they're at some kind of a clothing sale or something like that. And Lottie says to Rose, quote, I'm sure it must be wrong to go on being good for so long. You become miserable. I can see you've been good for years and years and you aren't happy. And I've been doing things for other people ever since I was a little girl. And I don't believe I'm loved any better, unquote. And she's crying as she says this. I think more than anything, these two women don't feel loved. They don't feel appreciated, and I think we all want that in some way. Not just love, of course we want love, but we want to be appreciated for what we do, what we sacrifice, what we give of ourselves to the people around us. We don't want to be taken for granted, and that is a huge experience that is still part of women's lives. I love the way this film centers women. It completely centers women for the most part. Yeah, there are the husbands, Melorch and Frederick, and there's Mr. Briggs, but it's about these four women and about what they're searching for when they go to this castle. It's about their transformation. They want to be loved and they want to be appreciated and they sacrifice so much of themselves every day. For the men in their lives, as women from such an early age, when we're little girls, we are taught, we are socialized to put everybody else's needs ahead of our own. It's very powerful. Like, it's very oppressive. It's suffocating, actually, when you live your life for other people. And that's what women are taught to do for the most part. We are always supposed to think about other people's needs and their emotions and their opinions of us. Our lives are so often defined by other people and we often sacrifice ourselves for other people. Think about within a family who becomes the caregiver usually. It's often women. Think about the burdens that are put on mothers. Mothers often do much more work than than fathers do. And so much more is expected of mothers and expected of women. We are expected to do emotional labor, physical labor, all kinds of things. We put everybody else's needs ahead of our own. That's what she's saying. You know, she's saying we've been good. We've done everything that's been expected of us as women in the 1920s. And we're miserable and we're tired, and we feel unloved, and we don't feel appreciated, and she wants to be happy. She wants to feel alive, and instead, she's deeply unhappy, and you can tell that her and Rose are unhappy in their marriages. 
and they don't feel appreciated uh, for what they give and what they do and what they sacrifice. Each of these women is escaping something. I think that's really interesting as well, is that every single woman has a reason why she's going to that castle. For Rose and Lottie, it's to escape their marriages. They want to get away from their husbands. That's the feeling I got. Like Lottie wants to get away from Melerge for a while. Rose wants to get away from Frederick. They want to escape. They want to escape that role of wife. And I think it's interesting once they are at the castle, there's like no men around and it's just women together and they don't have to worry about being wives or fulfilling those roles. And you see that. Lady Caroline Duster wants to escape men. I haven't talked much about her. Her character is there. We don't know a ton about her, but um, we know that like her mother does a lot of parties for authors and writers, including Rose's husband, who he writes these kind of smutty novels under a pseudonym. And he often goes to those parties and he, he meets Lady Caroline at those parties and they know each other. And Rose hates that he writes stuff like that because she's really religious. Lady Caroline is incredibly beautiful and very striking, very breathtaking. And she gets a lot of attention from men. And you can tell that Rose is a little bit jealous of that. Rose doesn't have the same kind of looks that a, that Lady Caroline does. And you can just tell it kind of bothers her or, or it affects her. But the thing is, is that Lady Caroline is tired of that. Like she doesn't want that male attention 24-7 and she feels oppressed by it. And she wants to get away from the male gaze. And she just wants to be alone. <laughs> she wants to be away from men. She wants to be in a world without men. And Mrs. Fisher is an elderly woman. She talks a lot about the past. She talks about how when she was a little girl, she met all kinds of great writers. She says that all she wants to do is, quote, sit in the shade and remember better times and better men, unquote. And I wholeheartedly endorse this. <laughs> yes, let's sit in the shade and think about better times. So honestly, I would say that Mrs. Fisher is trying to escape the present. She's trying to escape the now, and she wants to live in her memories. She wants to live in her childhood when she knew all these amazing people. And I'm sure the people that she loved were alive because she's older. So she's nostalgic. She wants that world again. So all of these women have their own unique and specific reasons for wanting to go to the castle in Italy. It's really a film about these women who have been... I mean, I think particularly, I guess I'm talking more about Lottie and Rose more than Mrs. Fisher and Lady Caroline, but it's a film about women who have been neglecting themselves for most of their lives. And like I said, putting everyone's needs ahead of their own. It's about women who are finally putting themselves first. Women who finally demand that their needs take priority and that their needs be met. They've done everything for everyone else. What about themselves? Who thinks of them? Who takes care of them while they're taking care of everybody else and thinking of everybody else? Now they're thinking about themselves and what they want. And they want a break. They want to get away. They want beauty. They want rest. They want relaxation. I think at the end of the day, I'll also... These women, I just, I think it's powerful when you say what you need. When you say, I'm not getting what I need. And so I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make sure that I'm fulfilled, that I'm getting what I need and what I want in order to feel alive, in order to feel nourished. I think it's very powerful when we say, no more. When we say no more, <laughs> when we say we've hit our limits and we need something, and that's what these women are doing. These women are saying, I need more. That's what the trip is about. That's what the vacation is about. I need more. This is not enough. London and this marriage and whatever's going on, this is not enough for me. And I'm going to take this opportunity to have something that I want and that I need. And I'm going to prioritize myself. I'm going to take care of myself and my needs. I really feel like these women are crying out for love. They're crying out for care, for attention, 
for appreciation, and for the right to rest their bodies. That's what they're doing. And I think there's something incredibly powerful about that, particularly if you're a woman like myself who feels exhausted, worn down, unappreciated, invisible, um, like you're always sacrificing yourself and you're not getting a lot in return. When you don't feel cared for, you don't feel thought of. It's just a powerful thing to see women do that. To see women say, no more, no more. I'm going to put my needs first. I deserve care. I deserve appreciation. I deserve love. And I feel like that's what these women are doing. They're active. They take a chance They make this choice to leave that life behind for a month and to go to Italy. They're really leaping into the unknown. They've never done anything like this before. They're living a dream (laughs) in a way. That's what Lottie's trying to do. She's trying to make this dream come true that she has. And she's stepping into the unknown. She's leaping into it. She doesn't know what's going to happen. And what what does happen is transformation and renewal and all these beautiful things. The healing of her and the healing of her marriage. The saving of her marriage, really, and her and Rose. So these women are fighting back. I see them as fighting back against like these societal expectations that as women, you always put other people first and you don't think about yourself and you just keep taking it and taking it and taking it. And they don't want to take it anymore. They want to get away from it. They want to break from it. And I think that's really amazing. You know, these women are doing something deeply radical, in my opinion. They're putting their needs first above everybody else's. They're finally doing something that they want to do. They're taking care of themselves instead of others. And as women... We're not taught to do that. (laughs) We're not allowed to do it. If we do it, we tend to feel guilty about it. And I think these women do it unapologetically. This trip is about so many things. It's about like renewal in a lot of ways. Think about how Mrs. Fisher doesn't have to use her, her, um, her stick, her walking stick or something like that. And at one point in the film, she says, isn't it better to feel young somewhere than old everywhere? So I love how the film looks at that renewal, that experience of renewal. And it's throughout the entire film. And it's so beautiful to see it, to show like how rest and relaxation and taking a break, how that can renew you and it can rejuvenate your spirit. It can regenerate you. And it's almost, I mean, it's beautiful to see. It really is. And I love when the women get to the castle That's when the film really comes alive. Because for a little while they're in London and it's rainy and drab. And even when they arrive in Italy, it's raining and stuff. But the next morning when they wake up and they go into the sunshine and all this stuff, it's like that's when the film really, really comes alive for me. And these women are like flowers that are opening up in the sun. They're blossoming. They're blossoming in Italy. They're reborn. I really feel like these women are reborn through this trip to Italy. Like when they get there and Lottie wakes up the next morning, it's very sunny. And I love how she stands at the window and she just looks out on the new day. She's just looking out (laughs) at all this beauty and she's overwhelmed by it. You can tell in a lot of the scenes that Lottie is just speechless. She's in awe of everything and she's just soaking it up. She cannot believe that this is her life. I love the scene when Lottie looks over and when she first wakes up and she sees Rose. And Rose is outside and she's sitting by some flowers and she's kind of framed by these flowers. And that's one of the most beautiful images of the film for me. She looks absolutely beautiful. All of it's wondrous to them. They're in all of it. I love the scene where Lottie and Rose go out to the garden together in their kimonos. I love the fashion of the 1920s. I really do. I love the art deco. I love the hairstyles. I love the clothing styles. I'm totally in love with it and enraptured by it. So I loved the aesthetics of this film and the style and the time period. But they go out into the garden. They're wearing their beautiful kimonos. And Lottie takes Rose's hand. And it's like just this moment of connection. I love that. Lottie is so warm and so emotional and so expressive. And she doesn't 
mind wearing her heart on her sleeve. She doesn't mind saying what she feels. And I think that's a beautiful thing about her as a character. But I love when she takes Rose's hand. And so they walk around the garden and then Lottie gives Rose a kiss because she says that the first thing that she wants to happen in the garden is a kiss. And I love that too. These women... I know that there's an emphasis near the end of the film on the marriages, on the women reconnecting with their husbands, and that's definitely important. The marriages are really renewed and healed in a lot of ways. But while these women do certainly reconnect with their husbands, I think what's also really happening with the film is that these four women are connecting to each other. They're finding each other. And they're going through this experience together. So it's also a film about female friendship. Not just the romantic love with the marriages. It's about these women finding connection through each other. It's about women, they are blossoming. They're opening up. They're reconnecting to life. And they're connecting to each other. And you see that throughout the film. The way they talk to each other the way they hold each other's hands. Think about the end of the film when Lottie goes into Mrs. Fisher's room and takes her hand and wants to support her and wants to be there for her. They don't leave Mrs. Fisher out because everybody's pairing off. Rose is back with Frederick. Lottie is with Melorsh. And then Lady Caroline starts to fall in love with Mr. Briggs. And Mrs. Fisher doesn't really have anybody to pair up with. And Lottie goes to her, I think, and says something like, we'll be a pair together. And I love that. She's not leaving Mrs. Fisher behind. Just because she's with her husband doesn't mean that she can't also connect to these other women. And so I think that's really beautiful as well, is the way that these women connect to each other and appreciate each other and care about one another. And they give, I think they give each other the, some of the stuff that they're not getting from their husbands, that they're not getting from that romantic love. They're getting that sense of connection with each other, I think. That sense of being seen and understood and appreciated and cared for. They feel it at that castle on this vacation. So they're reconnecting to their husbands, yeah. But they're also reconnecting to life. And they're also connecting to one another as women. And God, I love that. (laughs) That like makes me so happy. Before these women go on this vacation, a lot of them are at a breaking point. Where they feel like their lives are unbearable. They cannot go on. I do think we get to periods of our lives where we feel like I cannot go one more day the way that things are. I have to change. Things have to change. My life has to change. And I think that's what Lottie felt. I think Lottie felt at her breaking point in particular. But I think for all the women, there's a breaking point. And the vacation is a way to reset their lives. For instance, with Lady Caroline, there's this scene where she's sitting outside in the sun. And we hear her inner thoughts. And this happens throughout the film where we hear the inner thoughts of the different women and things that they're thinking about. And I love that. It's another way that the film centers women. And um, so in, in her mind, she's talking about how she wants to be alone for a month. She wants to be away from men, wants to be away from their gaze, from their control. Like it's not just, oh, I don't want attention. It's like, I don't want to be controlled. I don't want somebody staring at me all the time. I don't want these men to dominate me anymore and control my life. That's what Lady Caroline is feeling. She's tired of being an object. That's the thing. That's what she's running from. That's what she's trying to escape. And that's something that a lot of women struggle with when they feel objectified by men, particularly if they're very attractive and they're very beautiful. They want to escape that attention, escape that gaze and just live, and just be themselves, and be appreciated for who they are. I think it's very interesting that she ends up with Mr. Briggs, who says that he's nearsighted, or something like that, and that he cares more about who people are on the inside. I think that's very powerful and meaningful for Lady Caroline, who has always only ever been appreciated for her external beauty. And what she looks like. And here she meets a man who doesn't care as much about that. And who's more interested in her thoughts, her feelings, and who she is on the inside. I think that's what Lady Caroline is searching for. She's searching for 
that kind of love where it's about who she is and not necessarily how beautiful she looks. And she's trying to get away from that gaze and away from men. And so she goes into this world of women, really, at this castle in Italy. I think she's also trying to kind of get herself together. So the vacation is a crucial part of that, where these women feel at a breaking point, particularly Lottie, Rose, and Lady Caroline, I think. They feel like desperate. They feel like they need this retreat. They need this pause in their regular lives. Another part of the film that I absolutely love is the way it looks at the connection to nature. So there's all kinds of forms of connection in the film. There's the women connecting to their husbands again. There, There's the women connecting to each other as women. And then there's them connecting to nature. And they really luxuriate in the garden, in the sun. They lie on the rocks by the sea. There's this very deep and powerful connection to the earth that you feel in the countryside. And it's something that can be lost in a city and in an urban setting. Because that's where they're coming from. They're coming from the urban, you know, the city of London. And so there's this power of being in a rural setting, being in the countryside of Italy. It awakens them. It brings out another part of them. They're surrounded by the sea, by trees, flowers, all forms of nature. They have the garden. They're just floating and drifting in this sea of of natural beauty. And it's rejuvenating to them. It awakens something in them and it transforms them. I just, I love the moments when they're luxuriating in the sun. Like Lady Caroline sits outside she usually has her par- her parasol or she's just lying in the sun, not doing anything. She loves it. It's delicious to her. It's delicious to be alone, <laughs> to be by herself out in the sun, surrounded by flowers. Hey, I could live that life. I could make that work. <laughs> I wish that would happen. And then at one point we see Lottie, on, she's lying on the rocks by the sea and her head and her hair is spread out around her. Oh, that image is gorgeous to me. We see Rose sitting on the rocks with an umbrella. She's nearby. And a lot of the times they just have their eyes closed. Like we see that recur throughout the film of them just being still, just closing their eyes and just being there, being present, being alive in the beauty of that natural setting. And you can tell the way that it just soothes them it comforts them, it renews them. It really does. It's healing. There's a healing power to it. And it makes me think about how travel, even though I don't get to do it, travel can bring like revelations. It can bring moments of insight when we're outside the everyday. It can just bring these revelations into your life. There's something about being away from your home, being away from what you know, and being in a totally different setting, in a totally different place, particularly if it's really beautiful, that can affect our spirits. And it can maybe help us understand ourselves better or another facet or another part of ourselves that we wouldn't normally have connected with if we hadn't traveled. And so I think the film shows that as well. This castle is a place of love. It's a place of transformation through love. It's also a place of solitude and aloneness at times, but not of loneliness. That's what's so fascinating to me about the film as well, is that there are times when the women are together, like when they have the meals and they're talking, but a lot of the film, they're separate from each other and they're having very personal experiences in nature whether they're lying on the rocks or they're swimming or lying out in the sun like Lady Caroline does and they close their eyes and they soak it in and they allow themselves to feel it. They're they're alone when they're doing that. So they're alone, but they're not lonely. It's a place where this pain inside of them melts away. The desperation melts away. Lottie is able to let that go because she feels cocooned by love in this castle. You can tell it. She is just flooded with it. She's flooded with this love that she feels and it absolutely transforms her. 
it profoundly. You can tell there's a wholeness about these women when they're at this castle. That's why their marriages are renewed too, is that going to the castle, it's just a place of love. It's a place of care. It's a place of beauty. And it affects everybody who is there within it. It's this world that they all enter. And then when they leave it, they're not the same. They're not the same people they were when they entered it. And I love that. Like I'm drawn to stories of transformation, I think, probably because I wish that for myself. I wish that I could be a different person. I wish that I could transform. I wish that I were not who I am, that I were not myself, I guess. I've always wished I could shed myself and be a completely different person, but I can't. But I love stories of transformation for that reason, I think. And Lottie says at one point, quote, This place makes me feel flooded with love, and the important thing is to have lots of love about, unquote. She talks about how back at home in London, she was stingy with her love. She only would give love if she felt like Melersh was giving it to her in the same exact way. So she would hold back with her love. And when she's there at the castle, she has more love to give. She just feels flooded with it, like I said. And Rose, at first, is not going to write to Frederick to invite him. Because Lottie just loves being there. And she wants to share that with her husband, Melersh. And so she writes to him and he comes. At first, Rose is not going to write to Frederick because she doesn't think that he'll show up. You can tell that she doesn't feel fully loved by him. There are times in the film that are really beautiful where she'll sit in the grass and she'll cry. There's a sadness about Rose. You can tell that she just doesn't feel loved. She doesn't feel appreciated. She thinks that she's boring to to her husband and all kinds of stuff. And so when he does come there and they're able to be together, they're able to renew that love and to reconnect with it. And that seems really powerful for Rose. I think it's interesting how even when these women are centering themselves and they're having their rest and relaxation, they're not selfish about it. They want their husbands with them. They want to share the experience, share that love, share that beauty. They don't want to like just keep it for themselves. They want to experience it with their husbands because they love them. And it has an effect on the men when they arrive. Like it's not just the women who are transformed, it's the men too. There's something about this castle. There's something about going to Italy. It has this magic. It has this power, this enchantment, right? And, um, you know, Melersh is very tender with Lottie, like when he's brushing her hair and he says that he's going to pay for the trip so that she doesn't have to go into her nest egg. He's finally showing appreciation for her. He's giving her attention. He's giving her love. I think that's a really beautiful thing. I love how at the end, Mrs. Fisher I love what she says because, you know, she's often living in the past. But when she goes to the castle, what's so powerful, I think, for Mrs. Fisher is that she's finally able to live in the present instead of escaping into the past and into her memories and the way that life once was however many years ago or in her childhood. And she says, quote, I'm tired of the dead. I want the living, unquote. And I think that is so powerful that statement. I'm tired of the dead. I want the living. Because ultimately, I just think that this film is so life-affirming. It's just so deeply life-affirming. And it's about connection, and it's about love, beauty, and nature, and female friendship, and renewal, and healing, and resting, Like, my God, like that just moves me. It just touches me. I'm tired of the dead. I want the living. That's what Mrs. Fisher's able to reconnect with. Rose and Lottie reconnect with their husbands. Lady Caroline connects to Mr. Briggs. But Mrs. Fisher connects to like life. She connects to the present and she's able to maybe not live so much in the past. And Lady Caroline, I forgot to mention, she lost a lover in the First World War, in the Great War. And so also some of her stuff with men is affected by that. And she struggles with it. She struggles with that loss. It's affected her. She knows rationally and intellectually that in a lot of ways she's lucky. She's beautiful. She's healthy. She gets attention from men. She has a good life. 
but it's hard for her to feel grateful for it because of that loss, because she doesn't have this man that she loved. And so when she meets Mr. Briggs, that's a renewal for her. All of these women are renewed in different ways, and that's the way I think that she's renewed. Mrs. Fisher's able to reconnect with the present. Lady Caroline is able to emotionally connect to a man. I think for a lot of the time, it's it's about her having fun with men. Like, oh, they give me attention, but it's like, it's shallow. It's more of a shallow interaction with men where she's using them for her self-esteem or for her to feel good about herself. And I think with Mr. Briggs, there's more of an emotional connection between the two of them. And then, of course, Lottie and Rose connect. They connect with themselves. All of these women connect with themselves and they connect with each other as women. But then Lottie and Rose also connect with their husbands. They're all transformed by this trip to Italy in in diverse and interesting ways. And it's just such a special movie for that reason. And that's why I wanted to cover it. That's why I wanted to talk about it because I absolutely just love the messages and the themes in this film. And visually it's pretty as well. I can't resist. I can't resist a film about going to the Italian countryside and feeling transformed. (laughs) I cannot, um, I have to watch those films anytime I come across them. So I hope you liked this episode. I really loved talking about this film. It's special, it's magical, it's beautiful, it's life affirming, and it brings a little bit of little bit of joy into my life every time I watch it. I love these women. I think all of them are interesting for different reasons and I connect with each of them for different reasons and in different ways. And so yeah, I hope you liked this episode and my discussion of the film. Thanks so much for listening. I'd like to give a big shout out to my wonderful patrons, Polina, Stephen, Peter, Spunden, Ellie, Travis, Pierce, Amir, Christine, Jenny, Lane, Haroon, Thomas, Kelsey, Aaron, Juan, Till, JD, Vanessa, Olivia, Jesse, and Michelle. Thank you all so much for being patrons. You make the podcast possible. Until next time, keep watching great films. Bye for now.